To say that Adam Sandler has made some hellishly bad films might be an understatement. But what happens when you drop in a heaven and hell storyline, some end of the 90s CGI that looks like beginning of the 90s CGI, and a romantic plotline that can best be described as there. And you get a big challenge as we try to prove to you that little Nikki is not that bad. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this edition of It's Not That Bad, the podcast that looks for A grades in B movies. Now, if you listened to our episode last week on The Ridiculous Six, you heard us at the end of that show discuss the movie we were going to discuss today. And this is one of those movies that we have been talking about doing ever since the creation of this show, because for some strange a chemically altered reason my wife absolutely loves this movie with that being said my wife is here carrie welcome back to the show why are you doing this to me <laughs> the butterflies oh. oh i love this movie why? i will defend this to to its death and then <laughs> rebirth it's death or then, my death and then to helen back See, you have to be in a really strong relationship to be able to put each other through these kind of things. Um, I'm Soul not- plane. <laughs> Soul plane, mother <laughs> okay let, let me explain the whole soul plane thing we were watching soul plane because my wife wanted to watch it and it's a horrible movie i'm not, I'm not gonna i'm not even gonna sugarcoat it you know tom arnold and snoop dogg it's a horrible movie so what does carrie do we get about five minutes into the movie and she falls asleep on my arm And I can't reach the remote control. I am helpless. (laughs) I am. I I couldn't even use the force. I was literally like, you know, trying to use the force for, you know, so the remote control would come flying to me. It didn't work. I can just hear the internet now exploding. (laughs) Send condolences. I was a sad, sad victim pinned under the head of my wife. And I couldn't, I couldn't stop it. You make me sound awful. <laughs> oh my and, God. And then of course she wakes up as the credits are rolling. I'm like, oh, did I miss it? I'm like, you missed nothing. <laughs> you missed hell. <laughs> I want two years of my life back. <laughs> you owe me for this. Wow. <laughs> and I've never let her forget it to this day. So, Just wow. Yeah. Yeah. This this is why Carrie was not allowed to pick the movies at the Blockbuster while there was still a Blockbuster. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> you aren't. Oh, no. I was the one who was sorry. I had, I had to watch Soul Plane. But we're talking little Nikki on this one. And I may actually veto if you say, hey, honey, let's do Soul Plane. Not again. <laughs> Not again. Painful memories. Painful. <laughs> uh, I have PTSP, post-traumatic Soul Plane. Ugh. But we are now going to start talking about little Nikki. But before we get into this Adam Sandler flick, it's time to take it and trailerize it. The son of Satan is cunning and diabolical. The other son of Satan is hellishly strong. The other, other son of Satan 
is a mumbling idiot with a face only a demon could love. Guess which one Adam Sandler plays? Little Nicky begs to answer the question. What if a Sandler film had a budget, access to CGI, and a cavalcade of actors at his disposal? The answer is the worst thing to happen to butterflies since Crazy Town. With a cast best described as that guy from that other Sandler film, writers from those other Sandler films, and a director who directed other Sandler films. It's the incestuous hellspawn of a film that it sounds like. Adam Sandler is Little Nicky, rated PG-13. But let's be honest, 13-year-olds are too mature for this. <laughs> oh. I, 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 are I, you saying that I have the brain of a 13-year-old? Um... Maybe less than because you actually like this film. Oh, I went there. I went there. Also, big ups to Crazy Town for getting a reference in the trailer eyes. But let's get to the breakdown of this. It stars Adam Sandler, Reese Ifans, Harvey Keitel, Patricia Arquette, Tom Tiny Lister, and Rodney Dangerfield, and an absolute slew of cameos and smaller bit roles. Let's not forget Quentin Tarantino. Oh, you can't forget Quentin Tarantino. However, there is an almost starred list for this. That's because... We almost didn't have Harvey Keitel in the role of Satan. Apparently, Keitel came in to replace one Dustin Hoffman. And Which would have been fascinating. You know, it's it's funny. Because when you take a look at Dustin Hoffman and you realize that in the film, uh, Satan is basically... Uh, the father of Satan is Rodney Dangerfield. I could actually see Dustin Hoffman play Rodney Dangerfield's son... And have it almost seem like it works. I actually kind of like it better than Kaitel, only because it's just so out there. But I honestly, Harvey Kaitel, I think the better choice for this. I agree. I mean, he did an amazing job as Satan. Um, he is just so cool. And, you know, he just commanded that role, even though he was falling apart. Um yeah. Literally. But uh, I, I would have loved to have seen Dustin Hoffman in it. Uh, do you know what the backstory, why he uh, I'm, I'm not, not quite sure, but all I know is that apparently Hoffman was in the role and then Harvey Keitel came in to replace him. My guess is he read the script and said, F- no. <laughs> what have you signed me up for? Get my agent on the phone now. You know, I was in Rain Man, but I'm not like that. Okay, I'm, I'm good roles here. Good roles for Dustin Hoffman. Uh, we almost had, as the mother of uh, Adam Sandler in this, Britney Spears instead of Reese Witherspoon. Yeah. Nope. You know what? Nope. I don't, I'm, no, I'm going to go out there and say, like, nothing against Reese Witherspoon, but I actually wouldn't have minded it being Britney Spears. Well... Reese was actually younger than Adam Sandler in this role. Oh, yeah, role. And, and Britney Spears and would have been as well. But I mean, Britney they, would have been a hell of a lot younger. True, but they they played the whole thing off as that you don't age in heaven kind of thing. So, you know, the, that explanation was already in there. And we know that Britney Spears can be kind of almost self-referentially self, 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 comedic 
because remember she was in How I Met Your Mother and actually pretty funny in that. But I mean, it wouldn't have been bad. It definitely would have been better than Crossroads. And of course, anything would have been better than Crossroads, even this. Uh, And then we almost didn't have Patricia Arquette in the role of Valerie. Uh, Apparently, Melanie Linsky was under consideration for the role. And if you don't know who Melanie Linsky is, uh, she was most recently in Yellow Jackets. Uh, She was also in Beautiful Creatures and But I'm a Cheerleader. And I'm going to go out there and say I actually wouldn't have minded Melanie Linsky in this because I'll, I'll be honest. As I was watching the film, I'm like, okay, who's that actress, right? Then I'm like, that's Patricia Arquette. I it could, didn't even register. Did not even register. Well, I read that she didn't even have to audition for the role. So where, like, well, just do you she, know what the backstory? Why, not, not why she sure. took over? This, of course, is all uh, according to IMDb. It's not that Linsky was actually in the role. It's just that she was being considered for the role. I see. Yeah, so it's just one of those things where it's like, yeah, we can think about her, but no, we got Patricia Arquette. You, you don't, you when you're Patricia Arquette, you don't have to audition yeah. for that role. Apparently, get Arquette on the phone. <laughs> this movie was directed by Stephen Brill, uh, who of course has a list of Sandler films on his filmography, including as you know, as director as Mr. Deeds, The Do Over, Sandy Wexler, and. Hubie Halloween. So <laughs> back to that. Back to Hubie Halloween. But by the way, big ups to uh, the crew over at Movie Date Night because apparently they love Hubie Halloween as well, and this has kind of become their part of their Halloween tradition. With which, Greg, what the heck are you doing? See, who doesn't love Hubie Halloween? <laughs> Me. Well, I don't love Hubie Halloween. Apparently, <laughs> you're wrong. <laughs> See, this is why we have a podcast, so my wife can actually say. I'm wrong and kind of get away with it. Like that just, oh, I'm, I'm, I, I feel so. Yeah. yeah. That is how I feel. Um, as far as the accolades for this film goes, um, I think Adam Sandler needs to send John Travolta a large gift basket. And here's the reason why. At the 21st Golden Razzie Awards, this film, Little Nicky, was nominated for Worst Picture, Worst Actor, Worst Supporting Actress, Worst Director, and Worst Screenplay. All five categories were won by Battlefield Earth. Not Little Nicky, Battlefield Earth, which, you know, people are sitting there going, yeah, yeah, Battlefield Earth makes Little Nicky oh, I don't know, watchable <laughs> by comparison. Also, at the 2000 Stinkers Bad Movie Awards, uh, it was nominated for Worst Picture, Lost to Battlefield Earth. Worst Actor, Lost to Battlefield Earth. Worst On-Screen Couple was nominated for Adam Sandler and Mr. Beefy. Didn't win. Worst On-Screen Hairstyle. Most Annoying Product Placement. That one. Popeye's Chicken awesome <laughs> yeah it, it lost however to cast away for their product placement from uh, by fedex and by wilson because because <laughs> wilson, wilson. <laughs> but yeah popeye's chicken's awesome which it's okay it's no mary browns it's okay uh most unfunny comic relief uh nominated for mr beefy lost to tom green 
for Charlie's Angels and Road Trip. However, Little Nicky did not go away empty-handed because it did win this the 2000 Stinkers Bad Movie Award for most annoying fake accent. And I, I am in full agreement with that one. Um, Budget-wise, though, as far as the box office goes, this is an interesting one because this is a money loser. A loser. Had a budget of $85 million. And according to thenumbers.com, had a worldwide gross only of like less than 60 less than 60 million domestically made only 39.4 million so let me put it into perspective here uh when it debuted on the weekend of november 16th 2000 uh it debuted at number two right behind charlie's angels hello tom green um coincidentally it was actually the highest debuting film that week uh it debuted over men of honor which starred uh, robert de niro and cuba gooding jr that was in third. In number five, it was Red Planet, which starred Val Kilmer. And coincidentally, it was a hellish weekend, apparently, at the box office. Because at number 10, not debuting, but bedazzled with Elizabeth Hurley as the devil. So, kind of evil. Then it comes to the reason why we get to talk about this film. And that's the critic rating. But before I tell you that... Apparently, Michael J. Nelson from Mystery Science Theater 3000, those kings of bad movies. Like, If you want to know what a bad movie is, just go watch Mystery Science Theater 3000. They know all the bad movies. Michael J. Nelson named this the worst comedy movie ever made. Yeah, that that's the kind of recognition we're looking at here. And the critics seem to agree. Over at Metacritic, it has a 38 Metascore. And then over on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 55% audience score, which I can only assume is Carrie voting multiple times, and a (laughs) tomatometer of 21%. You're shaking your head. No. (laughs) I respectfully disagree. Okay. So before we get into the the breakdown here... um, where do you put this, though, in the pantheon of Sandler films? Okay. First of all, the worst comedy movie ever? No. Apparently. No. Well, keep in mind, too. It's so quotable. Like, it is so incredibly quotable and laughable and just an enjoyable, like, completely... um. <laughs> like, like, okay, yeah, it's completely unrealistic, but it's so fun. And I think Sandler's at his absolute best. I, I think there's something to be said, though, about the um, about the expectations of it, because it, it did have a huge, um, you know, a decent sized budget. I mean, this is 2000, so you kind of expect, you know, a little bit more. Um, you have a massive cast, like, you know, huge namers. Um, so not a not a big, you know, you expect better almost out of this. And I think it's one of those things where, you know, an $85 million Adam Sandler film grosses $58 million in the long run worldwide, not even just domestically, worldwide. I mean, that's a bit of a lunchbox letdown. Well, and- hell don't come cheap. 
<laughs> Hell, don't come cheap. I want that on a on a t-shirt. <laughs> the set design was really, really good. I mean, when you think about it, they had to not only depict what hell might look like, but heaven. And where was he in in New York City? In New York. New York City. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's there's a lot of cameos that need to be Central paid Park. Off. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Okay, so let's get to the breakdown here, and we have to start with Little Nicky himself. And one, I have to completely agree with the stinkers. That accent, that whole, I believe in the butterflies, like seriously, through the whole damn movie. Like, this is one of those things about Adam Sandler where he'll pick on, he'll, he'll find some kind of weird trait whether it's like a a tick or a mannerism or something he says. And that's basically the joke for an hour and a half. It's like the Saturday Night Live rule. Take a three-minute sketch, stretch it out to an hour and a half. After 90 minutes of hearing about the butterflies, did it grate on your nerves as much as it did mine? No, that was the character of Shovel Face, (laughs) the sweet, sweet boy of Satan. Um... You know what? It was... Okay. I thought Sandler was at his best in this. Like, you know what? To see him play in a rom-com is just... That's not Sandler at his best. I think... Really? When he... The character actor and his, you know, 
portrayal or his um, presentation of little Nikki, I thought was so much fun because he is so what, like you said, you know, the, the, the cheese grater accent. You know what? It actually had a certain amount of charm. And yeah, I like Patricia Arquette. I could I could see the the sweet side of little Nikki. See, here's the thing: had it not been for just the gratingness of, of that accent, that fake accent, uh, I think you're right, and that little Nikki could actually be a likable character. You know, we're, we're talking, you know, the son of Satan, who is also kind of part angel. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of good in him. Like he, he, he Nikki himself is a sweet character. Smart like Hammer, mind you, but a sweet character. But it's just, it's just that voice, and and that's that's the, the 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 downside to this. It's just one of those things where it 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 prevented me from getting into liking the character more. And I mean that and that's just me, right? Um, you you say he, this is Sandler at his best. I I disagree with that. I do. Because this isn't Aside the first time. Aside from the wedding singer. Well, see, this That's isn't even the first disclaimer. time we've talked about Sandler on this podcast, right? I mean, we covered we, we covered the Ridiculous Six. And Sandler worked well enough in that because everyone else got to be the crazy around him. Uh, the Wedding Singer is just an absolute gem of a film. Like, there, there's zero question about that. Uh, when we talked, when we did Airheads, you know, Sandler was good in that role. I just think... It was it was one of those things where they let him go a little. T- no one no one said you know what this is a little annoying. Also though, airheads an annoying accent by Sandler. Yeah, but not completely though. Not for the whole thing. Not uh, he had his moments in there, yes, but it wasn't for ninety minutes of about the butterflies. Yeah. I got issues with this film. I'm not gonna lie, <laughs> but I do agree that that Nikki himself. Uh, can be a likable character if you can kind of get past that. Like, if you're fine with the accent, you're going to be fine with Nikki. If you, it's it's almost like the Getty Lee rule. Well, just think about it, right? This very strange man turns up at 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 the door looking for an apartment to rent, and you know clearly um, he has some sleep apnea that uh, causes <laughs> some very strange sounds to you know come out of him so when he fell asleep in central park he he could have scared a lot of people i will eat your soul <laughs> <laughs> with uh. the exception of those two metalheads which you know i absolutely love but we'll get there um you know what he could have been so unlikable but he very quickly you know, found friends. He had the support of his of his crew, and you know, at the end, like everyone was cheering for him. Mm-hmm. They wanted little Nikki to succeed and to uh, to to take you know um, defeat his brothers mm-hmm. in their quest. And that's like the storyline worked well for him. Now, I did mention the Giddy Lee rule, so let, let me let me explain the Giddy Lee rule here. Five bucks is five bucks, eh? <laughs> no, but here's the thing with Rush right? You either love Rush or you hate Rush. And the reason most people hate Rush is because of Geddy Lee's voice. Most people, will, you know, upon hearing a Rush song will, will agree that the, the, you know, the, the musicianship is, is, you know, can't be beat. But Geddy Lee's voice for some people 
is a lot to kind of get around. I personally love Rush. I know you're you initially were like, yeah, well, you know, right? Um, and it's kind of like this with Little Nicky, right? People who love Little Nicky won't hear the accent. People who can't stand this movie will hear nothing but that accent, and it's it's kind of along those lines, and you know that that's almost like the the line in the sand, right? You know, you like Sandler, you like this film, you're on this side. You can't, you can't get away from that voice. You're over on this side. Um, let's talk about his father, though, Harvey Keitel. This is where I start to really enjoy the film because Harvey Keitel is just having way too much fun with this. He was so, so good as Satan. I absolutely love how he was, he was authoritative and he was also very... Um, accepting and very kind to mm-hmm. his special little guy to uh to Nikki. And you know what? He he's just so damn likable. I don't think I'm I may stand corrected, but I have never seen an unlikable Harvey Keitel movie ever. I love him in everything. And yes, even um I mean pulp fiction of course from he's, Dust Till he's Dawn the, where he yeah. played the dad. Oh my God. Like I have loved Harvey Keitel in everything I've seen. I probably haven't seen his entire filmography, mm-hmm. but I've not seen a bad Keitel movie. So see, see, he's now, easy to defend. Now, now we're on the hunt for a bad Harvey Keitel movie. You know, one one the character sits there and goes, "Oh, I'm changing my opinion." No, no, but but that, that's the thing. We talked about this uh, last week on the Ridiculous Six episode. In that, when Harvey Keitel gets to have fun dance around and be silly because you you I'll, I'll admit my first thought of Harvey Keitel you say name me a Harvey Keitel role and that's the wolf from Pulp Fiction right that, that is the first role that comes to mind no matter what this might actually be in the top five of roles and again I I like Carrie have not seen every single Harvey Keitel film ever made um, but there's something about this role of his you know as 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 Satan Satan? He just makes Satan look so much fun. You know, he makes evil look fun. And that's 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 something to be said about this film. I love that Rodney Dangerfield was his dad. Oh, God. <laughs> I love that. I mean, the thing with that Rodney... That was brilliant the, casting. The thing with Rodney Dangerfield is you're going to get Rodney Dangerfield, right? He per- clearly went to the Gary Sinise School of Acting in that every role that Rodney Dangerfield plays... He's Rodney Dangerfield. Like you, you cast him because you want him. You don't cast him because you want something else, right? You bring in Rodney Dangerfield because you want those Rodney Dangerfield type jokes. And in this, it completely makes sense. I have a question though. Mm-hmm. How many years was it? Ten thousand years that Kaitel yeah had sat as Satan. Mm-hmm. So. How many years or how old do you think Rodney Dangerfield is? Uh, 10,000 and probably about 20,000. Huh. Probably about 20,000. But of course, Kaitel is going to take another 10,000 years. Uh, which, of course, taking an extra 10,000 years on the throne did not sit well with Resiphons. I have to say, the more, and again, this isn't the first time we've talked about Resiphons on this podcast. <laughs> Daddy Love Good. Again, still sounds wrong, still sounds dirty. But if you call me that, I'm, I'm okay. 
I'm okay. He's the one they call Daddy Love Good. He's the one that makes you feel all right. <laughs> oh, we just sang Motley Crue in a little Nikki podcast. Yes, we oh. did. Kind of fitting. Yeah, the, actually, you know, yeah. the music choice. Ma- you know, would, would have made less sense if we talked about it last week. <laughs> but it's funny because Reese Eifens, to me, is one of those actors where, you know, I, ne- I never went out and watched a movie completely based on, on Reese Eifens being in it. But every time I've seen him in a role, he, he knocks it out of the park. Like, we talked about him during Formula 51, and he was just an absolute gem in that. Uh, you mentioned, of course, um, at his role as an Ophelius Lovegood in the Harry Potter series. Um, like, it makes me really excited for the upcoming House of the Dragon series because not only do you have Matt Smith in that, but you also have Reese Eifens. So you just have a whole lot of, you know, and you have Olivia Cook who was in uh, Ready Player One. So I'm really looking forward to that series. And he's one of the reasons why I'm looking forward to it. Here, we talked about Harvey Keitel having fun. Here he is just just soaking in all like the, the, the just Gain to be as bad and evil as he could possibly be and just soaking it up with such such grandeur. Like he is so it's he's stage villain in this and it's great. I absolutely loved him. I thought he was he was perfect. He was so um just evil, but he was so good at it. Mm-hmm. And you know, I I I know that I'm supposed to dislike him. You know, he was the evil brother. He was the conniving one. He, I, I liked him. I found him very likable. You know, that's funny. The more you watch Recyphons in this, and even Harvey Keitel as well, you all of a sudden get reminded of that, um, that quote out of Spaceballs, in that evil will always triumph over good because good is dumb. And Reese Eifens is almost the embodiment of that in this. Well, I could almost see him as playing Satan. Satan? Like, <laughs> yes, Dana Carvey also. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get to him. We'll get to him. But but he's not the only brother. Because aside from little Nikki, there is Cassius, as played by Tom Tiny Lister. I don't know about the tiny part. Uh-huh. Now, I will admit, anytime I see Tom Tiny Lister... On screen, the late Tom Tiny Lister, by the way, because he passed away in 2000. Uh, he had gotten COVID earlier on, and then he passed away um, from cardiovascular disease. Wait, sorry, what year did he pass away? 2000. Sorry, 2020. 2020. Oh, okay. Sorry. So I was like COVID. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. No. Clear. Clearly. Clearly, the last two and a half years have altered my opinion of how, of what time is time. It's been a twenty year. Pretty much. It, it feels like that. Uh, it, it has been a long year this week. That's kind of basically how it feels. 20 years into. But see, gotcha. I, I can't see him. Like, I know a lot of people will probably recognize him the most as the president on uh, The Fifth Element. But I can't look at him and not go, Zeus, from the No Holds Barred film that starred Hulk Hogan way back in the day. Uh, and then, of course, they brought him into WWE or WWF at the time as Zeus. Um but when you realize that, that he's got 200 acting credits to his name, through, you know, through TV and film and whatnot, like he was he was very much a working character actor. Um, and he's just so much fun in this. He really is. Like, you know, it, it's almost like, you know, it's like 
popping Terry Crews into a role, right? It's just like, you know exactly what you're getting. You're putting him there um, for the, almost the outlandishness of his size in comparison to everything else. And it just, Tiny Lister had so much fun with that. Oh my God. And again, as, you know, as the bully big brother of little Nikki, you know, it's, it's almost like you've got the evil mastermind and you've got just the, like, you've got the brains bully. and the brawn. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Brains, the brawn and the shovel face. <laughs> <laughs> we could rename little Nikki and make a part two. No, no. Dear Mr. Sandler. No, no, I'm not playing the piano music. No. <laughs> my foot's down this is not being begged for we are coordinate not, the budget we are not manifesting this into the universe this needs to happen no <laughs> get off my arm and give me the remote control so i can change the damn channel sleepy um i'm still better it's called movie narcolepsy uh-huh it's a medical condition <laughs> i wonder if it is i i don't know you i i guarantee you there's someone listening to this show out out, out there in, in in the ether going oh <gasps> I'm not the only one who falls asleep five minutes after the opening title card and then wakes up during the credits. I'm not alone. Okay, fun fact. How many times have I seen this movie and I would think there's only maybe less than a handful. I know last night I did fall asleep watching this, but it was also after midnight. So, you know, that's that, that's a gray area. That doesn't count. But I generally stay awake mm-hmm. for this entire movie. That's always an indicator that it's a really good care. It's a very carry movie. Let's be honest. I can't say it's a good movie. <laughs> That's why the show is here. Let's put the disclaimer on this one here. <laughs> but, but it's a very carry movie. I am still making that shirt eventually. A very carry movie in the same font as our logo. Um, but yeah, Tiny Listers, it's, it's got that, he brings that Terry Crews energy to him and it just, Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Uh, we, we mentioned briefly about Patricia Arquette and how she was pretty much unrecognizable as Valerie. Um, I, I need to I need to point this out here, okay? Because my problems with Valerie have nothing to do with Patricia Arquette. Absolutely nothing to do with Patricia Arquette. Has to do with the dialogue. And I'm, I'm putting it out there right now. Anyone, anyone who bitches about the romance dialogue in Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones. And already, I can hear you now, you can hear Hayden Christensen's voice in your head going, I hate sand, it gets everywhere. Apologize right now to George Lucas because that dialogue, that romance dialogue, is far and above better than the romance dialogue between Valerie and Sandler in this. Just oh come on! <laughs> oh no, I'm I'm dead I'm dead serious here. Like, I I can I can appreciate the antics and the slapstickness of it, and you know just just the you know the grandioseness of this heaven and hell fight kind of thing. But when it came down to the, those moments of when, you know, you know, little Nikki's supposed to, you know, woo Valerie over kind of thing in this, like, it, it, it's, it's like that angle was shoehorned in. She saw his sweet side, even though some of the things that he was saying was, 
you know, I mean, especially at first when, um, when his, his brother had. When Adrian kind of took over his mind. Yeah. yeah. Mind control. That, that was pretty awful, but she was so forgiving and so accepting. She maced him. She maced him. She, she accepted him in the end. Yeah, after she maced him and punched him in the face and almost almost killed him. Well, you know. You know. And then it's like, oh, 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 you just told me that you're the son of Satan. That makes everything better. <laughs> well, that makes sense. <laughs> Seriously, if I showed up on your doorstep um, floating, floating, <laughs> and said, yeah, I, I know. Balcony, I, wasn't it? I, I know I flipped you off yesterday, but really it's, it's not my fault. Uh, my brother took over my mind. Uh, we are actually the spawn of Satan. He has the ability to do that. It wasn't me. It was him. Uh, I'm okay, even though I am the son of Satan. Yeah, I'd get the mace. <laughs> okay, then. I, I mean, if that, if that does it for you. <laughs> I, I'm, 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 I still love this movie. <laughs> but, th- but there's the thing. I mean, Patricia Arquette definitely brought um, a sweetness to Valerie. And that's the thing. Like, Valerie is a sweet character in this. She's, she's very sweet. Like, the fact that she stood up for Nikki uh, at the, uh, you know, at the, at the street fair, I guess, or whatever that was kind of thing, and helping call out the, the guy who stole his flask. Um, but it's after that, and it's just like, mm, no, the, 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 the moments with Valerie are fine. The moments with Valerie and Nikki, not so much. And that's that's not good if that's your romantic storyline. But that again, that's just me. That's just me. Like I, I want to hear why you like her so much. Okay, first of all, I loved her softness of her voice. Her the the infliction that she put on her character's um, dialogue or her her character's um, mannerisms was so perfect and yet she was a really tough broad like clearly you know living by herself in New York City and you know strong enough or um brave enough to have stood up to the 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 criminal the the (laughs) thief the petty thief um you know like I think she was just absolutely perfect for Sandler to have met. I love mm-hmm. the dynamic between them because really he is the sweet boy. Yes, he's the son of Satan, but Satan? He <laughs> <laughs> every time. But he really is. Um I think there's a lot of good in him and I think she saw that and I loved their romantic story. I I will admit that the way that Patricia Arquette portrayed Valerie um if they had gone with Melanie Linsky, I think you would have gotten kind of the same Valerie, um, which makes me see why they actually considered her in the first place. Um, but Patricia Arquette did bring a lot of sweetness to Valerie. I will absolutely give you that. Um, let's move on to Alan Covert, Todd, the roommate, the actor. Um, you love acting. I love peeing. Oh, thanks, Mr. Beefy. Wait, no, 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 no. Mr. Beefy is my nickname. No, I mean, I'm, <laughs> oh, I just went there, didn't I? Oh, I just went there. Um, he felt like a one-note character. And I, I realized that the podcast is it's not that bad, right? And we're trying to find the good things. And nothing against, you know, Alan Covert and his portrayal of Todd. Um, 
It just. Really? Yeah. Okay. No, no, no. Because he warmed up. He was he was very particular when Nikki first showed up at his door. And he really, I mean, okay, maybe it was the brownies, but he really warmed up to be accepting of Nikki and to be on board to help him out. See, see, I didn't see him that way. Oh. See, I, I, the way he was portrayed to me was, and sorry, not portrayed because that, that tosses on, on Alan Covert. Uh, but the way he was written, the way Todd was written made Todd feel like uh, the idiot doormat that basically everyone kind of walks over. And like his, it, it, it almost feels like he's trying really hard to connect, of course, when they're all high, um, and it just doesn't come across that well. And the part that, that really kind of cements it, right, is that we haven't established you know, Todd really making a connection with Nikki yet. So when Nikki's, you know, thinking about the the butterflies and going off to Valerie, and then you see like Todd kind of show up in the, you know, in the reflection in the window, it's less that that friendly urging to tell Nikki to go chase his, his love and more like just a creepy guy in the window saying, get out. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I see him completely differently. I think it was so poignant that he was an actor and you can just kind of tell from his um, opening monologue where he's he's practicing mm-hmm. uh, a script. It's like, you can just tell that he's probably a down on his luck, you know, had rejection after rejection. And, you know, he's probably- Damn you, Kevin Spacey for taking all my roles. <laughs> Which he's- that joke plays real- different in 2022 (laughs) he's probably um you know very alone in this world and then nikki shows up and then you know he befriends the two metalheads and it's like no you know what i think he was meant to meet little nikki because i think those two characters needed each other they needed to meet it was karmic that like Nikki answered his his ad for a roommate. See, see, here's the thing between you know Nikki, Beefy, John, and Peter, and how much they basically like just you know toss jokes and whatever at him kind of thing. He, Todd feels like the hate puppy. Like you keep you keep him around so you can kick him. You don't you don't actually hate the puppy, but you hate the puppy. Like he's the hate puppy. No doggies. No doggies allowed. <laughs> Uh, since we're talking doggies, let's talk Mr. Beefy as oh, voiced oh, by yeah. Robert Schmeigel. Um, of course, he of TV Funhouse and Saturday Night Live fame. Um, I'm not going to lie, right? Beefy's like one of my favorite characters in this whole damn thing. He has the best lines. He has the funniest jokes. Um, and e- even the CGI. Like, I'm, I'm going to go off on the CGI a little bit later in the show. Rightfully so. But the but making Mr. Beefy look like he's actually talking, that was good CGI. Like I don't know it was CGI or whatever, but the, that worked. And his character, despite the fact that he got nominated for a Stinker's Bad Movie Award for like worst sidekick kind of thing, I love Mr. Beefy. Which, as I say that now, I realize that if anyone ever takes that sound clip and goes, "I love Mr. Beefy," kind of thing, <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna make that your ringtone, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, Jay's calling. I love Mr. Beefy. I love Mr. Beefy. I love- <laughs> oh, God. 
but like yeah no he he really did have the best lines you know what he did i agree um and again as far as like he really was so pivotal um to <laughs> to nikki's survival first of all mm-hmm. <laughs> um it, it was absolutely perfect and i love I just, I love him. He was so cute. <laughs> I, I will admit too, like you, you mentioned that this movie was quotable at, at the beginning of the show, like like very, very quotable. And that's kind of always been, you know, at least I know personally, my my hallmark of a good comedy is that are you quoting the lines afterwards? I'm not going to lie. I'm quoting Mr. Beefy. And I love you. And I love you. <laughs> uh, what better say? What, what better way to say I love you than and I love you? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, this kids stop listening to the show. <laughs> Just stop listening to the show. Uh, let's also talk about Nikki's other friends there, John and Peter, as played by Jonathan Lofren and Peter Dante. So kudos to them for not having to learn other names to respond to. Um, as, as much fun as they were, as much fun as they were, um, these two metalheads were written seemingly by people who thought they knew what metalheads acted like. <laughs> right? It's it's almost like... Like a caricature like of... A, like a 40-year-old writing a, like writing a teenager who forgot what it was like to be a teenager. They they felt like... like like Beavis and Butthead? <laughs> I need TV for my bunghole. <laughs> uh, they felt like early crew wasp era kind of metalheads rather than like, you know, keep my this is 2000. And if you're not listening to the soundtrack, it's very 2000, right? These guys feel like they're trapped in the 80s with all the 666 references and stuff like that. Like Chicago. <laughs> Okay, that I will admit that would, I'm sure there are satanic messages on on Chicago albums. I'm 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 convinced now, but but do they see? Do they seem a little, you know, '80s cliche metalheads to you? You know, and that's what made them so damn funny, like so damn funny. Um, were they not? Correct me if I'm wrong, but were they not in Airheads as well? Uh, I th- John, I think, was. I th- yeah, I think Jonathan Lawfram was. Um, of course, he was also in um, Kill Bill. Yeah, which <laughs> blew my mind. I was like, whoa, wait, no. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. no. Ugh, very different character. Very. But back to the back to the, the, the metalheads, John and Pete. Oh, my God, I love them. I You know what? Yes, they were very much characters of what, you would, they were stereotypes. They were walking stereotypes of the 80, 80s metalheads. However, I think that was the beauty of it is that in 2000, when what, in 2000, we had much surpassed the grunge era. It was almost kind of right, like. We, we, were in, we were getting into new metal at this getting point. Getting into new metal. Yeah. Okay. So I love that it was almost kind of flashback ish mm-hmm. to like early Metallica days like Ride the Lightning right Ozzy Osbourne like when good metal yeah <laughs> however um you know what they were so much fun they were so much fun and I think it was absolutely perfect that um 
they they met up with Nikki and joined him in his pursuit. <laughs> they were his his team. His that was his 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 group. Now, as we were watching the film and, you know, kind of before we started recording this, one of the characters that you mentioned that you really liked was Blake Clark, who played Jimmy the Demon, like the the personal assistant to uh, uh, to Satan. Mm-hmm. What was it about Jimmy that you liked? Oh, my God. He was he was so absolutely funny. And I think it was absolutely perfect that he was like. He was like the quintessential you know, personal assistant, but what you would expect of a personal assistant to Satan. Like, <laughs> yeah, just yeah, a reminder, you're yeah, shoving yeah, a pineapple yes. up Hitler's ass at 4 p.m. Yeah, <laughs> it, <was yes>. like, <laughs> it was like, you know what? Um, he was, he was perfectly kind to Nikki. You know, you could tell that Nikki was kind of his favorite out of the brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he, he just, he was holding hell down like a champ. Like he, he, he was perfect. He was the perfect personal assistant. Jimmy kind of feels like the, the, the demon that probably not only served Satan, but Satan's dad during his reign kind of thing. Cause you have to think, you know, aging kind of, you know, thrown at the window kind of thing when it comes to, you know, post-life creatures uh but yes i can i do agree uh a much better assistant than the tithead gatekeeper as played by one kevin nealon um a boobs for brains up there uh was funny not gonna lie and the, the prosthetics on his head were just uh <laughs> the tassels is what got me i'm like that's brilliant um and some of the broad choices though Mm-hmm. I had like the oh like he, fuchsia pink. He was licensing leather. his head like crazy. Like there, there's no <laughs> question. But but that's the funny thing. It's like cause, because you know, of course, Kevin Nealon had his Saturday Night Live background, and there's a lot of those characters that kind of came from Saturday Night Live. Like once again, Adam Sandler kind of you know sticks with the friends and works with who he likes to work with, and it does seem like you know for whatever you say about an Adam Sandler you know comedy film, it looks like everyone had fun on set and that's that that's key right because if they're having fun that that comes across to the audience as well i can just imagine that this quote would be true but um when i was doing a very quick read um about this i don't know where the connection was but um is it kevin james yeah Um, okay but um there was a quote from kevin james that said working on an adam sandler flick is like like a party every day. Mm-hmm. And I could see that to be absolutely true. And it was very much Sandler and co, mm-hmm. you know, it was the same actors that you see in airheads in little Nikki in, um, ridiculous six. There was a lot of crossover. Yeah. Uh, the wedding singer, big, uh, big daddy. Like basically if it's a Sandler flick, if it's a happy Madison project, you are going to come to expect the same group of actors. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely, I love that. I, you know, work with your friends rule. It's like the Kevin Smith rule. It does. And that, that fun does come across like. And as, Tarantino. As, as much as I kind of gripe about this film, you know, from a, from a filmmaker standpoint, like, or from a scriptwriter standpoint, I, I cannot disagree that everyone does, you know, 
the their portrayals of their characters come across like they're just having fun behind the scenes and like any band right if a band is having fun on stage you're going to have fun in the crowd um they're having fun on their stage and you the crowd that's watching at home um clearly on dvd because it didn't make any money at the box office uh, are having fun but Uh, you can't help but smile when you see actors really enjoying oh yeah absolutely what they're doing and the role that they're playing okay I mentioned that there's a cavalcade of characters in this film with a lot of different cameos. So we're going to try something a little different here. Uh, I'm going to give you rapid fire. All right. So without going too in depth, uh, although feel free to go in depth if, if, the, if it warrants it. Um, I'm going to list, uh, you know, the actor who is in there, uh, your initial thoughts on, on them. And I want to start with Dana Carvey. Ooh, interesting. I honestly thought you would have gone a different direction. Dana Carvey was so much fun. It was so nice to see him back in this movie because he had taken quite a a lengthy hiatus from acting. Dana Carvey was so, so great in Opportunity Knocks. Mm. Um, Oh, and I love Dana Carvey's stand-up. Absolutely. Yeah. But the, the, I, I mean, I feel bad for him in this one because apparently he broke his ankle while they were filming the basketball scene uh, and he ended up on crutches but um it was he was so much fun in this role he really was like and of course the way he, i mean yes i recognize that he's you know his character is possessed by uh by by uh, by Cassius um who's played by Tony Lister and just the way he's strutting around on the basketball court it's just so much fun um okay QT Quentin Tarantino. Oh, Deacon. Deacon. Loved. Absolutely. You know what? It was perfect. He was so funny and so believable. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, we've seen that guy that hangs out at <laughs> Young and Eglinton and. Uh, no, Young, Young and Dundas. Young yeah. and Dundas Square. Um, you can, I mean, you could picture it. It was like real life. Mm hmm. Meets art. You um, make the Lord very, very nervous. nervous. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> there was actually something very, there was a, a, a beautiful crossover. I could see um, uh, his character is um, Johnny from Destiny Turns Up the Radio. I could see that. Yeah. 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 And I, I think it was almost kind of a role reprisal at that point. Um, <laughs> One carries into the other. <laughs> you know, or definitely. Um, um, inspired by. Mm-hmm. Okay, Reese Witherspoon, Sandler's mom in this. Oh, I love her. She's so sweet. <laughs> like, I could definitely see her being an angel. Right. In heaven, holding things down. Did you know, though, that the red-headed angel in that scene yep. is indeed Adam Sandler's wife? See, and that there's the, that, you mentioned the Kevin Smith role, right? So, you know, the fact that Kevin Smith, you know, put his wife into Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. Like, I do love the fact that Sandler's films do feel almost like a family affair. Um, like, very, very cool to see. And yes, Reese Witherspoon is just, so uh, again, like, just beaming through all of this. Because, you know, she's having fun. That's the, that's the beauty part about some of these roles, is that you can have a lot of fun with this. Um, kind of like Carl Weathers did, her mambo instructor. It's all in the hips. It's all in the hips, which very different from who he plays in The Mandalorian. Like just 
like my initial thoughts of Carl Weathers either or are either literally, you know, the Mandalorian character or as Apollo Creed in the old Rocky movies. Um, so to see him in here, like as, as Mambo instructor here, just how just a big so infectious nice. smile, right? It's so nice to see him having fun. Okay. The Prince of Darkness himself, one Mr. Ozzy Osbourne. Oh, brilliant. A brilliant choice. Actually, um, I was reading that it would have been Marilyn Manson. Yeah. I, I, and I, that would not have been no as good. No. That's the thing. Like, you know, three names come to mind when you want someone to be like, you know, um, creepy satanic metalhead, right? Marilyn Manson, Ozzy Osbourne, and Alice Cooper. I, Ooh, Alice Cooper would I, have been good. I would have been fine with Alice Cooper in this role. I was very happy to see Ozzy Osbourne in this. Marilyn Manson, no. It's just a little too much. Yeah, you know what? I think Ozzy, I think uncontended. I mean, as much as I, I do think Alice Cooper would have been a good choice, it had to be Ozzy freaking Osbourne. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the I mean. Prince of Darkness, the King of Bubbles. <laughs> uh, bubbles. Bubbles. I'm the Prince of Darkness. I don't need stinking bubbles. <laughs> I mean, I mean, Alice Cooper proved that he can pull off a cameo well, thanks to Wayne's World. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, he would have been great in this, but no, Ozzy Osbourne was all good. Um, next cameo can be listed in four words. You can do it. <laughs> Rob Schneider, uh, recurring character. Rob Schneider. Yes, as Rob, Rob Schneider. Schneider. <sighs> Can't have a Sandler film without a Rob Schneider. Again, it's the Sandler rule. Uh, yeah. He, I think it, he's actually contractually obligated to have a role. I think Schneider's got pictures. <laughs> he must, yeah. Okay. Um, the character of, and, and, and I'm not even kidding, this is apparently their character name, Nipples. <laughs> As played by Clint Howard, the brother of Ron Howard. You're just... You're just like shaking your head now, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> like that's like I know Clint Howard gets like a ton of these small little parts kind of thing, and mostly in Ron Howard's films. Um, and when he does pop up, it's very much like you know he he does have fun with it. This this one was just wrong, just wrong. I mean, how would you know who's under the suit? It's Clint Howard. <laughs> uh, Henry Winkler. Oh love didn't get much of them but just enough but you know what it was just perfect okay i have to ask though when henry winkler gets gets attacked did you have nicholas cage's voice in your head going not the bees not the bees (laughs) (laughs) and this one may not not hit too much for you but dan marino as the the quarterback you know in in hell trying to you know bargain for a super bowl because marino is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time no ring. No <laughs> ring. I thought it was funny. Like, I mean, you had to be a sports fan to mm-hmm. to to get the uh, the importance of it, to get the reference. But, yeah, I mean, it was funny. Yeah, we get Dan Marino and the Harlem Globetrotters in the same movie. Uh, sports fans are appeased. Um, I have to say, though, I love the mom at the... The Harlem Globetrotters game. <laughs> She's like, it just gets better and better every year. <laughs> this is so great. It's all part of the show, honey. It's, it's all part of the show, honey. Oh, okay. Love it. So for anyone who listened to the last episode where we talked about the Ridiculous Six, 
Um, I mentioned when we were talking about doing this film that this has one of the most egregious editing or post-production choices that I've ever had to watch on film. And I shake my damn head every time. And it has to deal with the soundtrack. And I'm not talking necessarily about the songs on the soundtrack. But there's a scene from when Nikki gets, you know, encouraged to go after Valerie. And then he goes to the building and starts floating up because of the butterflies. There are four songs used in that minute 30. Four, I'm going to say that again, four different songs in a minute 30. It's like, it's like hitting, putting a CD in into the, into the CD player and hitting the intro button where it plays like 10 seconds of each song. It's almost like they were trying to get around it by using that 15 second rule of if we only use 15 seconds, we don't have to pay for the usage of the song. Like, I don't know if that bugged you as much as it bugged the crap out of me. Maybe I'm just over, you know, nitpicking this thing. But did you find at times that the soundtrack was tossed in for soundtrack's sake? Hmm. But I thought, you know, the selection of music was was on point. I thought it was perfect. Uh, I, I, you know, to be honest, it actually it wasn't noticeable or didn't dawn on me that there were indeed four songs used. I mean, you get the switch. You get the switch, but it was almost kind of like, I I don't know. I mean, I was too busy watching the scene. It was the the key romantic scene of the movie. I mean, the funny thing is the soundtrack is really, really good. Um, if you, if you go through the list here, by the way, it is the most 2000 soundtrack that ever 2000 soundtrack. Like you've got on the CD, POD, Incubus, uh, you got Deftones, Cypress Hill, uh, Disturbed, um, Muse. Uh, although, coincidentally, they almost had on their soundtrack, they almost had our good friend from Playlist Wars, Brian Colburn. Because apparently, and I just found this out the day we were recording, that there was a contest in relation to this movie on GarageBand.com. So unsigned artists would submit a song and the winner got to be on the soundtrack. Brian Colburn from Playlist Wars, good friend, submitted, his band at the time submitted a song. They didn't win. But that song apparently is now the intro song to the Playlist Wars podcast. Very cool. So Very cool. So shout out to Brian Colburn over a Playlist Wars. Um, I, I love that story. I absolutely love that story. <laughs> um, but th- this song, this movie really did just you know live and breathe by, by, by rock and roll. Right. I mean, even on the DVD, there's a there's a feature dedicated to rock and metal music. And I almost wonder how much of this music like, you know, Van Halen, Black Sabbath, stuff like that. I wonder how much of that influenced the writing, the creation of this film. I could see that. I mean, truly, Nikki would have been happy to just be air guitaring in his room in, in hell. Like, he had no interest in going to Earth. Um, 
he did it because he was a good son and he wanted to help his dad and, you know, stop his two, I don't know, psychotic and bully asshole brothers. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like. Tell but, me how you really feel. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, you know what? Musically, it, it was it was so important because it kind of drove the script. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it was it was poignant to the movie. And the funny thing is, when you think about 2000, like this is this is around that time when, uh, you know, movies were pumping out some actually really good soundtracks. You know, I mean, if ever there was a there was a a, a podcast about bad movies, great soundtracks, right? This would this would fall into it. You know, right in there with you know, Airheads had a phenomenal soundtrack. Bill and um, Ted. Bill and Ted. Well, Bogus no, Bill, Journey. Okay, okay, Bogus Journey was yeah. I don't even know that. Does that qualify? We'd have to take a look. Ooh, Bogus Journey? I think it might. Probably does. Uh, the Daredevil movie with Ben Affleck. Um, I know that one qualifies, and that soundtrack is killer. Uh, I think the Punisher movie, the one with John Travolta and Thomas Jane, I think that one qualifies. Airheads? Airheads, definitely, yeah. yeah. There were a bunch of really bad movies with really good soundtracks around that time. This is definitely one of them. Um, although... There is a there is a CD letdown on this one though. This movie came out in the year two thousand, and I have ruined my voice enough times trying to say the butterflies. Nineteen ninety nine, Crazy Town releases a song called Butterfly. VH One ranked it as the thirty fourth most awesomely bad song ever. By the way, <laughs> but. But that song not on the soundtrack. That is a that that is a mix. That's, that's a fail. That's right a there. fail. That's an epic fail. That's a fail. That's like I I kind of wish that song was on this soundtrack. That um, see, there's the thing. I think that would have given given relevance. Mm-hmm. Relevance. See, sorry. See, there's given- there's the thing. That scene I was talking about. Yes, relevance. Yes, <laughs> English I think language. I just good. Stroked. <laughs> There for a second. Oh my God. You talk gooder now. <laughs> I need another drink. Uh, just start talking like this. <laughs> Everything will be fine. Right? <laughs> but but really, that scene I was talking about where Sandler goes to Valerie and gets maced and punched in the face and almost killed because that's love. Um, I mentioned there were four songs in there. Like Foo Fighters were in there and Ozzy Osbourne was in there and there was something else in there. If you had just used Butterfly by Crazy Town for that whole section, because the problem with using four songs in a buck 30 is that no one gets into the groove in like 15, 20 seconds of music. The intro button on the CD player is the dumbest invention ever made when it comes to CD players. Unless you're looking for a song. No, no, no. You hit play. Oh, I, I, this isn't the song, but I like it. Oh, this isn't the song. There's a skip, there's skip, a skip, skip button. That's a thing. The intro button is there for people who are too lazy to hit skip. Like, seriously. George Jetson made a career out of pushing a button. Would you like a Snickers? Ah. <laughs> Oi. Oi. He 
has anger issues. You made me watch Little Nicky. Of course I have anger issues. <laughs> and they're about to get worse because we have to talk about the CGI. I did mention that Mr. Beefy does look great in this, right? Um, him talking looks like he's talking. But there are certain instances where the CGI is does not hold up today. And the first one thing that comes to mind is the little spider Nickies. That just looks so bad in retrospect. I thought you were going to mention the uh, overly yellow stream of pee when he was peeing on the the doormat. Yep. And the constant fire breath and... Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, that's the funny thing, right? I recognize that $85 million budget, you know, and there's, you know, you have to think $20 was spent on music for that one scene. But actors' paychecks too, because who wasn't in this movie? Right, it, it it really is a cavalcade of comedic greats. Um, but they could have spent a little bit more time making it making the CGI look good. Because again, beefy, all good, all good, and it has to make it look good. I remember uh, watching a documentary about. The Empire Strikes Back. And there was a lot of worry about Yoda. Right? Here's a puppet. In a sci-fi film. And if the puppet looks like a puppet, then it pulls you out of the story. But they made it look good. And of course, Frank Oz's voice just brought life to Yoda. And you forgot the fact that while they're filming, like when you're watching Empire Strikes Back and you see Yoda on screen, you forget the fact that there's someone underneath the set with his hand up his uh, hand up its ass. Yoda became real thanks to uh, like the, the puppetry team and the thanks to Frank Oz. Beefy is real because of the work that they put into the CGI uh, and, and, and the voice work as well. I still want to know who had their hand up Jar Jar Binks' ass. Uh, that was Ahmed Best. No, no, that wasn't a puppet though. But that's the thing, Ahmed. <laughs> Ahmed, Ahmed Be- but the thing is, Ahmed Best. If you if you actually take a look at at behind the scenes stuff, he's there with this big head on top of him, mm-hmm. right, flopping around kind of thing. So like they had something to work with as far as like early mocap kind of stuff. <sighs> you had to bring Jar Jar up, didn't you? <laughs> I mean, something uh, you saw you saw shake your head at me <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> oh you 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 went there I, I did yeah oh i don't know what's worse <laughs> oh okay before before i have an aneurysm here trying to wrap my head around jar jar and mr beefy together um who is your mvp of little nicky well, it was a, a lovely segue to my MVP. I have to go with Mr. Beefy. Mr. Beefy. I have to go with Mr. Beefy because um, according to IMDb, it was Mr. Beefy's son, Meatball, who is indeed Adam Sandler's dog and was uh, involved in his wedding party. And I just absolutely love that that Adam Sandler rule of working with your friends and clearly he 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 took a part of this movie and a part of Mr. Beefy home all I can say is I I question and I hope it wasn't the crossbreed with the with the rat no well with the rat or the um um 
Cocker Spaniel. <sighs> and I love you. <laughs> oh, he put the Cocker to the Spaniel, that's for sure. Oh, dear. Yeah, I went there. Um, <laughs> but favorable mention, and I you hadn't mentioned it yet, and I don't want to wrap without uh, giving a nod to the... Um, the uh, Chris Farley um, that mention. Was, that was really, really sweet. So That was a sweet thing. So, so for anyone who hasn't watched the movie, at the end of the film, you know, it's one of those things where they kind of show a montage of characters and then they'll put some font up that says, you know, what kind of what happened, you know, afterwards kind of thing. And, uh, um, yeah, they, they, they shoehorn in a, re- uh, a really nice... Um, tribute to Chris Farley in there, and that's the thing. Like he passed away, it was like three years before the making, uh, before the this film kind of came out. And of course, it's a lot of a uh, lot of Saturday Night Live alumni on there, and um, you know, I, I think Farley was very much in a lot of their minds as they were making this film. So, really nice tribute to him in there. So Reese, Reese Witherspoon, you know, little Nikki's mom left Satan for. Her fitness instructor. Chris Farley. And that would be Chris Farley. Yeah. Um, my MVP, and I, I tossed around this one a little bit here. Mr. Beefy was on my list. Not going to lie. Um, Harvey Keitel was also on my list. But they didn't make it. That's because Reese Eifens just absolutely owned the role of Adrian. Like, I was hoping you were going to say Ozzy Osbourne. No. Hmm. No. No, no, Reese Eifens in a very, you know, there's certain actors that I kind of hold up as a pinnacle of, of phenomenal acting, right? Um, to, you know, to steal from Kevin Smith, you know, any, you know, actors who could play the shark and jaws and get away with it, right? David Tennant's up there. Reese Eifens in this film gave a very David Tennant like performance in that he was lithe and dancing and just owned the character and made made evil fun right if you can go into a a a grand concept comedy and make evil fun like you could you could easily easily you know draw comparisons um between david tennant's crawley from from good omens and reese eifens adrian from this Ooh, crossover crossover i want to see michael sheen and david tennant as the two brothers to little to little nikki <laughs> but it, it, it's true like like here you have like when you get to play a demon right you get you can have fun with it you can have a ton of fun, and the amount oh, get of, on with your bad self. Absolutely, sure. yeah. And the amount of fun that David Tennant clearly had as playing Crawley in Good Omens equaled what Reciphons uh, did in this. And you know, I mean, I've said it before on this show, right? The better the villain, the better the movie, right? And 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 just Reciphons just gobbles up every scene he's in. Absolutely. From the unrequited love of Peach Schnapps to, uh, you know, just just the, his taunting of everyone around him. Like, just so much fun. So much fun. Okay. We are not... Promise me now. I'm going to make you promise me on record that we are not doing an Adam Sandler film next week. 
<laughs> Not next week. Not next but there's week. there's more ground to cover. Oh, I fully recognize there's more ground to cover because there's a lot of poorly rated film. I'm not saying bad. I'm just saying poorly rated. That's fair. That's fair. Um, but to go back to, before we wrap up here, to go back to uh, the rating on this one. Uh, tomatometer, 21%. Audience score, 55%. Carry score of this movie? I would say, oh, I love it so much. I would put it up in the 70s. It is that much fun. And again, if you suspend all expectations of reality and just allow it to be what it is, you know, it's, it's, it's a movie about heaven and hell in a in an Adam Sandler flick with a whole host of incredible talent playing their roles. Like it was so much fun. I I I, I think it was I think twenty one is absolutely unfair. I would tack another fifty onto that, make it seventy one. See, I don't I don't know if I could go that high. I really don't. But I do agree that 21 is harsh. It is. And it's unfortunate because um, I think this movie suffered critic, you know, rating wise because of the weight of expectation given the size of the cast, the concept, the budget. Like there, there's a lot on paper that says this movie should be phenomenal. It's not phenomenal. It's not bad. It's not phenomenal. Do you think, though, it would have fared better without Adam Sandler's accent? I do. I honestly do. I mean, I, I don't mind if, if, if it's, you know, a little less coarse kind of thing. Um, you know, you, you can still make him sound dopey. But if you're sounding like this for an hour and a half, it's really annoying. But then his line of Popeye's chicken is awesome. See, that's where Would it works not- out well. But but for an hour and a half, though. <laughs> uh, and I think that you, I'm glad you mentioned Popeye's chicken. I think the the product placement in this, you know, the Popeye's chicken is awesome line works once. Maybe twice. But they were shilling Popeye's chicken like like Colonel Sanders' ex-wife was paying for the film to be made. That's that's how much they were pushing Popeye's chicken. There's, there's a lot of Popeye's chicken in this damn film. And it's, I get that product placement happens for a reason, but this is bad. Like the, this, 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 this was overkill. And it wasn't even, it was shameless overkill. And I think that probably dragged it a lot, down a lot too. But I do think the critics have a stick up their ass um, that needs to be removed. Um, this film is not 21%. It's not. I think it sits, I mean, you you have to recognize you're going into an Adam Sandler film. And so temper your expectations already. Right, and I say that knowing that there are Sandler fans out there, I think this sits about at about a forty-five percent. I think, 
you know, the, the CGI could have been better. Yes. Uh, music selection could have been, um, not, not different. Although they could have picked Brian Colburn's song, but, um, less shoehorned in and used more sparsely and effectively. Less Popeye's chicken, no accent. This move, then this movie sits in the 70s. As it stands, I think it's in the 40s. I still think it's perfect. See, uh, I can watch this movie like 10 times and then come back to it Two years later, five years later, it's now what? 20 years, 22. 22 years later. 22 years later, and I still am giddy when I put that DVD and I hear <laughs> that first line of the song. What's the first? Um, the P-O-D. We are school, school hard knocks. <laughs> which, which, by the way, you've now made me sing on a podcast and I now have to apologize to all of our <laughs> listeners. Oh, such a great movie. Thank you, Adam Sandler, for making this happen. <laughs> well, thank you, Carrie, for once again joining me on the show and uh, helping me prove that some of these movies, no matter what the critics say, are not that bad. Now, to you, our listeners, first of all, thank you for tuning in uh, whenever and wherever you are listening to this. Uh, if there's a movie that you think is unfairly maligned or you think is so soul plane level bad that there's no way in hell... That yes, yeah, I'm, I'm still not over it. I'm still not over it. That, that there's no way in hell that we can find anything good to say about it. Hit us up on Twitter at Not That Badcast. We will watch it. We will dissect it, and we will find the good things to say about that movie because we are looking for A grades in B movies. Until next time, this is It's Not That Bad. I'm Jay. She's Carrie. We will catch you next time. Take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.